Welcome to Dialogues with Max Ferency. In this fourth bonus episode of the series, Dignity in the Uprising, photographer Sean Shudd and I dive deeper into our creative process by discussing the importance of creative restraints, optimism, learning to notice, and being open to serendipity. Enjoy. Digging into the creative process for a little bit. I'm a math nerd. <laughs> and so all my pieces are structured. Yeah. One of my so favorite, that's interesting. One of my favorite composers is Bela Bartok. Very mathematical. He actually studied a lot of Hungarian folk song in the early 20th century. And then as 20th century European classical music evolved in its different tangents away from a standard tradition of harmony, his was almost like internal consistency is how I would interpret his logic. Instead of having this one rigid atonal mm-hmm. tone row something or another or something <laughs> or some sort of serialism, it was more about the internal consistency. So he used a lot of the golden ratio, which is that... It's like the stuff I can't understand about like later Coltrane and crazy... Oh, I can go on for years crazy, about later Coltrane. Crazy jazz I don't understand. It took me... Despite loving jazz. <laughs> five years to appreciate the album Meditations by Coltrane. I have it. I, can't, I keep trying. It is, I just can't. It take, it take, it, now that it, I'm such a lover of standards, though I can't. If you want to appreciate meditations, big listen to the whole fan. thing so and, and sit through it until you get to the third track, which is their love or compassion. Mm-hmm. And you hear his saxophone solo come in. At that point, the entire album, if you can get to that point, yeah. makes sense. And then when you listen to it again, it's gorgeous. Well, this is where it's odd because I like Joanna Newsom and, and crazy stuff like that, but it's more melodic, I think. And uh, yeah. I, yeah, I come from like a, a love of Duke Ellington and well, he's also wonderful, stuff, but like, yeah, but I, I'm trying to conquer it. Even Miles Davis too, some of his later stuff up to 75. Um, <laughs> but so going back to Bartok and the, and, and structure. So I, so the golden ratio, right. Is what's often found in nature. You see yep. it in how a conch shell is formed and the spirals there. You see it in the number of petal leaves. It's related to the Fibonacci series of, one so one ex girlfriend's back. She had a yeah, tattoo. yeah. One one like one one three five eight a thirteen twenty two um, etc. You yep. know where the two add to the next one. So it's all a very kind of natural thing. And even if you look at like framing and photography, the little that I know of of, of a composing a shot, you see have that kind of two thirds ratio that is a general it's odd i find myself i always fight against it that yeah. you okay because yeah. you're a deeper you're a right. much better photographer than i am so you can break well, those rules you yes it takes <laughs> but, understanding the breakdown yes completely um it's a culture thing but <laughs> exactly um basically the geometric mean where you find that point mm-hmm. in the piece is the end of the second movement okay okay so that means that the geometric mean of that is of the first and the second movement is in the first movement yeah because of the way that's structured right if you look at the actual chord structure for the second movement it's a 13 bar phrase but the way it's actually played is in an additive sense so the first two bars play and then three bars play and then five bars of it play and then eight and then up to the 13 and then it works its way back down. So it's working up that same Fibonacci series, and it fits into the piece. And what that's really kind of I mean, it's really elegant. Um, I, I talk a lot about creative constraints to my mm-hmm. students. Mm-hmm. I, I teach at Towson University, and um, the idea that 
you know, so I'm, I'm used to a lot of bigger productions now. Mm-hmm. Um, not the biggest, but I've had some pretty large productions. But where you you generally, for the most part, have the budget to do a lot of what you want. Mm-hmm. That's really that's really great. But it, it's like you know to to nerd out. It's I mean it's it's, it's where the prequels went wrong of Star Wars. Mm-hmm. He had everything he wanted. The the real creativity was done where you had to make choices based on budget mm-hmm. uh, or limitations of the film or the or the, just the knowledge of special effects at the time. We're con- I'm all, I'm constantly putting my team through creative constraints, saying you know hey, let's we do exercises. Let's just like select two backgrounds, or you go off and do this thing. I go off and do the thing. We come back and we see what happens mm-hmm. and we make it work. Because like you know. Today's shoot, I came in rather stressful about it, mm-hmm. and um, that was a that was a that was an exercise in, in constraints. But constraints brought about by a lot of lack of planning and <laughs> um, chaos. So, how do you make that work? Do you fold mm-hmm. to that, or uh, do you view it as a challenge and mm-hmm. say, "Well." how am I going to weave myself into this? I can recognize a jazz standard when Louis Armstrong is playing it. Yeah. Because of how he plays it. Mm-hmm. His hand is totally in it. Mm-hmm. His mouth really. But, um, Fingers. Yeah. It's totally in it, the way he handles that instrument. And so I, I try to think about, okay, so even if I'm shooting the most mundane thing, mm-hmm. how do I then mm-hmm. show my hand? It's a, yeah, then that makes that more interesting. And I, see, I, I do see that in like... You know, your constraints in this case, I think, were you had the audio of the, mm-hmm. the, the, the words, the mm-hmm. stories. Mm-hmm. You had this idea of sort of elegant arrangement mm-hmm. that you wanted to play with. So within those constraints, what could you do? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I, I personally, I think it's quite enjoyable what you've come up with. Thank you. Now, are you one of those performers who, uh, or composers who get a wild idea in the middle of the night and you have to get up and play it? Or when do you find yourself doing most of your composing? Uh, I'm a, I, I stew. Uh, they, they, it's yeah. in me. I, it's not like, oh, I need You're to go do this. Yeah, I, I, it, it broods in me, and I'm like, <laughs> oh, I need to get this out. Um, yeah, definitely a brooder. This is why I don't make a lot of fine art. Very often. <laughs> it takes me forever to. It takes me forever to produce a piece. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of like. My hand won't get off her nest. Yeah, there's, there's a value, and I mean, it's like one of the things I just try to do is occasionally unplug you know stop yeah. listening i love podcasts podcasts you know things like 99 percent invisible and other podcasts sonically have influenced me even though they yeah. are they're music they're not music they're they're a radio type podcast but just how they compose mm-hmm. their their words and stuff was was an influence yeah um i can see that especially 99 percent honestly yeah but you and you need to eat but you also need to digest that's well said so that's what I try to do. I try to have plenty of time in silence as well as time of eating. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned silence. It's the exact opposite of what you do. And I, there, are, <laughs> there are some times where I have to, like, I spend so much time looking hmm. that hmm. I have to just, like, be very hard. I have to try very hard to focus in on a task. Mm-hmm. I have trouble standing still or yeah. being still. Yeah. So reading a book or doing things like I found, like making a model. Yeah. Um, even zoning out and watching a TV show. Yeah. Where I don't, I don't have to look for a little bit. Mm-hmm. 
I, I could never be one of those photographers who are shooting every day. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can't. It's too much. Yeah. My mind would explode, I think. Hmm. But that's interesting. We both yeah. give ourselves breaks like, like that. Or like I'll let the photos sit for a day or two after shooting. I will never, I never really go back to them that the day I shoot. Yeah, you need that distance. You do. Well, um, I mean, that's like what I was saying about wanting to be able to view it as with fresh eyes, mm-hmm. as, as, a, as a viewer, as a listener. Uh, yeah, I, I don't want the stress of... All shoots are stressful. Yeah. Or have their, their ups and downs. So I, I don't want that to influence the photos. Mm-hmm. I want to approach them calmly. Mm-hmm. I don't like doing... I mean, deadlines are deadlines. You have to... You have to yeah. That's a reality. But I've never been in a situation where I haven't been able to give it a, br- a breath. The mm-hmm. breath is important. Mm-hmm. I find that way like when we're making, constructing shots too. It's like, mm-hmm. let's just approach this thoughtfully. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's try to, th- you know, I still try to think that I'm wasting film. Mm. Yeah, because that constraint, yeah. Yeah, let's be very, yeah. I mean, that, that is the constraint, right? There's this wonderful story of Helmut Newton shooting for Vogue. Mm-hmm puts on Anna Wintour's desk and contacts you with six photos and she says where are the rest <laughs> and he said well you're only shooting one, you're only uh, printing one right <laughs> and he walked away now only he could get away with that but <laughs> the, con- the, the concept there is like this constraint of film mm-hmm. made him that much more thoughtful hopefully ideally uh, with what he chose to expose and I try to have that. Mm-hmm. It's good to mind. always have that. Well, even the constraint of the. So I wrote everything in the the, the accordion parts in Dignity Before Bread before I wrote the Baltimore Uprising piece. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote those because I bought the accordion because I wanted to think because I didn't have horns on hand. So that's I, it. It had that flow. You can swell with an accordion that like you can't with a piano. Right. Um. So I wanted to, that's why I got in, that's how I wrote them as. Mm -hmm. But by the time I got to Dignity Before Bread, I played it as an accordion. Hmm. And I'm like, so I got the accordion because what it could kind of function as something else. But now I'm like, you know, I really, and I actually really like the sound. And I'm happy about the the synth I just got because. It was a necessity. Yeah. and, And, but those, I really feel I can do anything now. With this small repertoire of instruments. I started photographing because I couldn't draw people. Mm. And so, or paint them. So I, I would photograph them, cut out the elements, yeah. transfer them in various alternative ways. Yeah. yeah. Uh, liquid light, there's a liquid emulsion, or yeah. like a print-on process, into my paintings. Mm-hmm. It was all a utility for me. Hmm. It, was, it, it wasn't until, I think, the end of college where I started finding value in photos for photo's sake. Hmm. Um, as, I, I, as the way I put it now, I, I, you know, I stopped interpreting light through oils, and now I just deal directly in mm-hmm. in the currency of light. But yeah, I have a friend who did a lot of sculpture work and wanted to document the sculptures, installations, and eventually, that just became its own medium. Yeah, it, isn't that interesting too? Yeah, like how you can take a deficit mm-hmm. and then turn that into your well, strength, or it wasn't like like you got something for another purpose. And then yeah. you embraced it for what it was. Exactly. And I think for me, one of the key to being a successful creative person is in, I guess, an optimism, right? So as I mentioned before, there's a lot of refinement in my work. If I show you an early draft of something, you might not be as in- interested by it. Right. <laughs> um, 
but it's not you should see my rejects yeah it's it's not just a matter of if i if, if i first heard that and thought oh that's horrible i wouldn't go anywhere with it but mm-hmm. if i thought this has some potential but i need to improve it this way yeah it's, it's it's looking at that okay there's still there's a nugget of good there and i'm gonna improve it this way and you listen to it again and then you're like oh i can also improve it this way and then you by that time uh-huh. of a whole bunch of refinements you get to this good piece but if you're pessimistic about it that's like what we do with yeah. a really thoughtful photograph we we take a shot mm-hmm. we have an idea we mm-hmm. know sort of generally and we, when we look at it and we're like okay this I shoot to a big screen, so mm-hmm. we, we we look at it and we're like, okay, this needs to be changed here. Mm-hmm. Or let's add this element, mm-hmm. take this out. Or like, oh, it's always in editing, right? So it's always in removing, typically. Yeah. Refining. Take another shot. Mm-hmm. Look at it. Keep taking. Look at it. Mm-hmm. And then you know when you have it. Yeah. Very rarely. I love it when you get it on the first try and you're like, okay, well, let's go home, ladies and gentlemen. We yeah. got it. But, Everyone does, but... But like, you know, but it's a lot of, it's a lot of, like you said, picking apart perfecting mm-hmm. removing adding and you can't be down about again. yourself in that process no I, you know it's funny that you said i thought immediately when you said optimism th- i think about all my fine art and how it only comes when i'm brooding and moody mm-hmm. but there is an inherent optimism in it mm. i think uh you make art with the hopes of of people seeing it mm-hmm. and at least i do with the hopes of hearing people respond mm so it's inherently optimistic to hope to be around to hear that i think yeah no definitely i mean yeah you have to but there's also it's what's great about it it's not an optimism that denies current realities and optimism right. that embraces it this is how like, it is yeah like your piece is inherently optimistic that people will hear uh react to mm-hmm. maybe implement mm-hmm. definitely but it's not shy at all about people setting themselves on fire or yeah. like, you know students struggling with violence or like it's not it's like that's it's it's confronting those head on mm-hmm. um rational optimism what's the is that a good term um there's a term there's a, a phrase i'm going to paraphrase and probably misattribute to to gramsci antonio gramsci uh basically saying that you need to be uh, pessimistic in your analysis and optimistic in your action i like that yeah yeah mm-hmm. um it, it goes to what we talked about with scott saying about like, mm-hmm. the, the signs like okay now what mm-hmm. you know even that statement implies that you'll do something or yeah. that you hope he hopes you'll do something so yeah. there's an optimism in that and i like that yeah yeah i'm gonna sit with that for a little while i like that a lot so talk more about because when you were talking about that, that that piece, which I love that idea, just like almost a creative challenge. Yeah. I think it's good to do of, I'm going to put the, these constraints on. Talk more about maybe maybe the term is serendipity or just kind of discovering of what comes out or like, because uh, everything's not planned, right? You, you're not like, so there are definitely elements of, of something that you're a shot you're composing that is, I want to do this, this, and this. Well, to the extent we have a model and we have a team. Yeah. I mean, that's about the only planned stuff we have sometimes. And, I, and you know, one, I guess it comes from having worked with these people before. Mm-hmm. You know, you develop a good rapport with them. You've got people. your band. Yeah, essentially. So yeah. You, you start, it's sort of like a jam session, yeah. right? Um, I start, you know, for me, it's about seeing. So when I get on set for one of these things, I start seeing these elements. Mm-hmm. And then it clicks. And then mm-hmm. I hear other people, ooh, yeah, yeah. And they get their ideas. Mm-hmm. 
it's my job, however, to make all those elements come together, mm-hmm. right? Get in one image. I, I, it's my job to sort of pull all the parts together. It just happens. I know that sounds artsy and romantic, but it just happens. Like, I mean, I guess it comes with being watch, watchful mm-hmm. and seeing and being able to edit out mm-hmm. experience, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, being able to say, no, I won't do that. Yes, I'll do this. Um, because I put such constraints on the on the leaf shoot, mm-hmm. because, just because there were such constraints. Mm-hmm. Not, not, I didn't put them on. They just were on it. I could really only do two solid photos with a couple variations mm-hmm. of each of those. But really just two solid photos that mm-hmm. I would ever show um and that's okay i mean i think i'd rather have two solid photos than 16 to 100 lackluster photos yeah um you know what you know when it's working i i I don't know i've I've yet to have a shoot that that is under such constraints that hasn't worked Hmm. in some way or another because even if it's a weaker image I've learned something then from doing it that I can then apply elsewhere mm-hmm. and perfect. Mm-hmm. For me, they're they're at the same time incredibly stressful, but also incredibly liberating. Because you know, when I do assignments for clients, I, they're they're paying for a, deliver, yeah. a deliverable. You have to produce something, and they have to know what that something is that they're getting. Yeah. So I asked those two questions actually, because um, I had a hunch just from my own creative process because like bringing the tangents back around um i was talking about before the mathematical um nature of how i structure things and also talking about liking how i like layer in this beginning of the second movement where i'm speaking over top of the mother but was easy uh layering those over top of each other the content I had for my second movement was actually longer than the constraint I had put on it. And so I was like, okay, I got to work with this. I want that structure. How do I make that second movement yeah, you, as rich as it is? Recording, re-recording was not an option? Well, there's content I wanted in there. Oh, okay, I see. I had recorded long things and edited out a bunch. I didn't use everything I recorded. And I could have re-recorded stuff. I went back and did a couple things. But it was just a matter of Like, I want to fit this in. I want this substance, and I want it in this space. Interesting. And so that constraint led to kind of leading it over top of it. And actually, that's one of my, probably my favorite part of it is is that second movement. Because in what I kind of discovered in it was you can't pay attention to both voices. You can't yeah. sit back and analyze. Well, she's saying that because of this. And I think that you, it's almost like, okay, I get this point and I get that point. And so at least my response when I'm listening to it myself is I just get enough to get enough to have like the emotional response. So I don't have enough to yeah. get the intent, intellectual response. Yeah, and that's that, what I like about it. Yeah, that was mine too. And that's interesting you say, because that's when I refer to allowing room for things to happen. Mm-hmm. That's what I mean. So yeah. you have these constraints or you have, whether your constraints are something self-imposed or they're the restri- constraints mm-hmm. of the job, the mm-hmm. assignment. If you allow those discoveries, yeah. it, okay, so it's like what I tell people who have gone to art school. Art school is great, but it also makes you think that every piece, like when you do a piece of art, like everything has to have a meaning. You have to, you have Mm-mm. to figure it out initially yeah. right away. I have to have some kind of grand thing I'm saying, you know, but then you start feeling bad when you're like, Oh, I just want to color on this piece of paper. Mm-hmm. A good friend of mine uh, who 
who passed away a few years ago at age of 90, um, John Wood artist, really gave me confidence in this and told me this. You know, I was telling him about this dilemma. I was like, I really just want to just doodle. And he would do that. He would just doodle for hours and do these lines and stuff. And, and I, he was like, do it. Just do it. Mm-hmm. Just create. Mm-hmm. You're an artist. The meaning will come to you. Mm-hmm. It will speak to you later. You, you do something subconsciously, whether you know what it is or not. So it's like with little moments like that, mm-hmm. discoveries happen. And I feel like it can speak to you later. Like you said, it added yeah. to the piece. You didn't. Re- it's nothing you plan, but subconsciously you're making decisions. Yeah, exactly. And it kind of is related, I think, to what we were talking about of how all the structure. You know, I yeah, I don't know. Think think about the color comparison of the leaf and the background, and don't don't do that analysis when I'm there. But I, I, I it pops and I get it. But you and sense I like it. it. Yeah, I sense yeah. it exactly. That was photographer Sean Shedd and I discussing our creative processes. This rounds out the last episode of the Dignity in the Uprising series. Thanks again to Sean Scheidt, Brenda Moreno, Samir Taylor, and Dan Kunimoto for their contributions. This is the first series of the Dialogues with Max Ferenczi podcast. Stay subscribed to the podcast to be notified when new series begin. And visit maxferenczi.org slash subscribe.html to sign up to my newsletter and learn about new music, podcasts, and listening parties. You can also keep up with Sean Scheidt's work at seanscheidt.com or find us both on Twitter. This has been Dialogues with Max Ferenczi. Thank you for listening. <laughs>